With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. We are joined now by Washington State head football coach Mike Leach. I've been a fan for a long time. I've been watching his teams play forever. I think the first time, coach, that I ever really got familiar with you uh, in some way other than watching your teams play was a fabulous article that Michael Lewis wrote about you. I believe it was in the New York Times magazine uh, when you were still at Texas Tech. Uh, for that was for was that for you a kind of introduction for many people to you on a national stage? Do you remember the reaction to that article? I, you know, there the way the reason I remember the reaction to that article, and and I still uh, keep in touch with Michael Lewis, who's a brilliant guy and always interesting to talk to and always absorbed in working on something. That's where the all the pirate stuff came out, and the pirate stuff came out. So so Michael Lewis came to do an article on on our team at Texas Tech and uh, and stayed for a week. I mean, stayed for a week like as in he was everywhere I was. And so uh, when he left, I missed him. I felt a sense of loss when Michael Lewis uh, wrapped up his article and went elsewhere. But the significant thing, uh, one thing that happened with that, besides the fact it kind of goes worldwide, was he talked to a couple of my players, and my players referenced a speech I'd given the team on pirates, and um, in that speech, I had a museum replica sword that I was swinging around, swinging around in the, uh, you know, how are you going to swing your sword? Are you going to do it aggressively, out of control, and leaving yourself open? Are you going to do it um, passively uh, and uh, potentially, you know, getting uh, getting killed out of your own fears? And so, by take, taking counsel of your own fears, and so then. Um, 
Well, and then after they talked about that pirate speech, um, it went in the magazine, and I got some great pirate gear from everywhere. I mean, I got <laughs> I got pirate hats, pirate eye patches, pirate pirate books, pirate flags. Um, Bobby Knight and Pat Knight uh, were coaching the men's basketball team at that time. They gave me this big stand-up uh, Pirates of the Caribbean-looking pirate that's still in my office today that's got a motion sensor, so it'll talk to the janitor if I feel like uh, working <laughs> on him a little bit. And um, No, I got a lot of great pirate gear. The wildest one that, that I got was there was a lady in France, and um, a lady in France, and she says, I don't even... Um, I don't even follow football, she says, but I enjoyed the article. And there was kind of this uh, pen, a skull and crossbones pen that she sent to me. And she says, but here, I just thought you might want this. It's it's amazing. Now, I'm actually on board with the pirate fascination, too. I lived in the Caribbean for a couple of years. Uh, I'm like you. I'm a reformed lawyer. And so where, where did you live in the in the Caribbean? Yeah, St. Thomas, the US Virgin Islands. So like uh, with family or you just no, went down it, there to find yourself? No, it's a good it's a good question. So I graduated from law school and I had an offer um to practice law in the United States, a couple of different places, and I also got an offer to move to St. Thomas, US Virgin Islands to practice law down there. And uh, the man, I graduated from Vanderbilt Law School, and the managing partners, still a good friend of mine, uh, Chad Messier, he may be listening to this right now. Uh, he uh, he is uh, he he recruited me down there. I'd never met him, but they they advertised as as recruiters. And so I went to my wife, and we were about to get married. Uh, we got married, and then we moved to the Caribbean two days later. So literally, uh, I got married in uh, in Michigan to my wife, and then we moved to the Caribbean. Flew into St. Thomas two days later. And we just thought it would be a fun adventure. And uh, and so I read all about the Caribbean, all about pirates. I mean, I'm, I'm like you. I'm intellectually curious, and I get interested in a subject, and I kind of want to devour it. So uh, I, I was just utterly fascinated by everything having to do with the pirates and their uh, their reign uh, during on the high seas and everything they represented. And, and I am fascinated by your ability to take sort of the historical uh, underpinnings of, of being a pirate and train it and use it to your football team's advantage. Well, there was a there was a one for uh, all for one, one for all quality to that, which really didn't exist in um, in Europe back then. You know, in Europe back then, there's a lot of caste system. You know, it wasn't just people from other countries didn't hang around with each other, or other races didn't hang around with each other. People that made different levels of money didn't hang around with each other. People from different neighborhoods didn't hang around with each other. So, you know, but down there on the sh- on those ships. Um, and they varied. The one that I talked about in my speech uh, was written by Bartholomew Roberts, um, and it had to do with uh, it had to do with uh, you know compensation, what you got, what your rights were, uh, when you were expected to go to bed, you know, no smuggling uh, uh, women on board the ship, uh, uh, you know, for uh, for your entertainment, and yeah. then. Um, uh, you know, quartermasters got a certain amount. Captains could be voted out. Uh, even then, most people were right-handed because you got more. You're better off being left-handed if you're going to get something shot off because um, because you got uh, you got paid more for a right hand than you did a left hand, or a right leg than you did a left leg. So it goes. But uh, no, it was all pretty fascinating. And then 
and I've been all over the Caribbean. I haven't been to the Virgin Islands. Um, uh, would like to go there. There's, but there's a good pirate museum off of Nassau, uh, in Nassau, and then uh, there used to, there's a really good one in St. Augustine owned by a friend of mine, Pat Croce, and um, he used to be the general manager of the uh, 76ers, right? Yeah, and that museum used to be in Key West, so I've been to it several times, and then they moved it for a more year-round uh, type of uh, exposure. But uh, And then the other thing I saw, um, you've been married forever, and so have I. I think uh, we just celebrated our 36th anniversary. Congratulations. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so it's kind of a long and uh, long and uh, winding road, you know. As you think back, uh, uh, where you started on that, and where you you know where you're headed or ended up. So yeah, especially I want to I want to go there because uh, we get a lot of questions, and everybody has a different career path to how they end up where they are. You went to BYU as a non-football player. You were there, I believe, during Lavelle Edwards when they were scoring a lot of points and everything else with that BYU era. What was it about watching that BYU team, and what made you think, you know, I think maybe I could be a, a football coach? Because you went to, uh, you went and got your law degree, I believe, at Pepperdine afterwards. Uh, but what, what, when did you start thinking, hey, maybe one day I'll be a football coach? Well, it, I guess it started out through high school. I was always a football guy and uh, played football, did the best. I, you know, I was five foot ten. I weighed about one hundred fifty five pounds and. And I didn't, I, you know, I grew more in college. When I left college, I was just under six feet and weighed 185 pounds, but, and probably in faster after, after college too. But so, so I go to high school and, and, you know, I was, uh, 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 totally committed to it, loved football, you know, went out there, played as much as I could. Uh, we had a, uh, quite a bit of success that period of time. We, uh, I grew up in Cody, Wyoming, up there near Yellowstone, and we were the smallest school in the biggest classification. But, um, you know, my sophomore year, we won the state championship. My junior year, we played for it. And um, so, you know, I, I like that part of it. And then every summer, every summer I had a, a baseball team, you know, various ages, Little League or Babe Ruth or something like that. I had a baseball team. And I started doing that when I was uh, 15 years old through my sophomore year in college. Uh, I always had a team. And, um, and you know, because it was hard to coach a football team while you're playing football and then um, and going to high school and things like that. But um, I, uh, I always had a team in the summer, though, and so I, I really got the coaching bug there. I was kind of one of those kids that, you know, was making notes and keeping files and jotting things down that I thought would be good, good coaching material, whether it's kind of just motivational or whether it was football or baseball. And then, um, I got to law school, went to law school at Pepperdine. Oh, then I broke my ankle, my senior year of high school, broke my ankle, senior year of high school. So I'm thinking, well, um, should I go somewhere where I can play football or should I just you know, get the, get good grades and go to law, uh, go to law school. So I went to, I went to BYU and then as I'm bringing my ankle back and, um, you know, trying to run a lot, um, I had a rugby PE class and on the strength of what I did in the rugby PE class, I got recruited to go on the, 
the college rugby team and BYU was always really good in rugby, still are. Uh, uh, I don't look. I think they won the national championship this year too. I don't know, they're, but they're they're always if they didn't, they're close. And so then, um, the uh, you know, just they got I got to continue to experience the camaraderie, the team stuff all through college, and then um, I went. Uh, uh, to Pepperdine, we didn't have any lawyers in my family other than a cousin off somewhere. And <laughs> my dad hated lawyers, but uh, I went straight out I, I, after eight semesters. I went to to law school, which is quicker than a person really ought to go. Most people in my law school were kind of twenty five to early thirties, you know. And um, so. Anyway, running around law school, uh, sitting in property and civil uh, procedure class and stuff like that, I'm thinking, you know, I really do need to give this uh, coaching thing a whirl before I settle down, put on a suit. And as, as pitiful as it sounds, that suit really did have kind of a chilling effect on me um, as far as being an attorney. And um, But it wasn't like, okay, leave law. You're not going to practice law. It was... It was more like uh, get the coaching stuff out of your system so you can go forward with plenty of, uh, uh, of uh, focus on your course. And so I uh, decided I would coach for uh, a year, three at the most, go back and practice law. And so I was I was dead broke, worth more dead than alive. And then um, I... Uh, did the logical thing there, which was took out another student loan, uh, got a master's. And the reason I got the master's is because that would facilitate me to get in and coach. And so then one year led to the next, led to the next, and I'm still coaching. What did you make as a salary your first coaching job? Do you remember? Uh, $3,000. My my wife made more money than I did for 10 years. So th- I mean, my... $3,000, and I think you were at Cal Poly. What's your wife's reaction? She's married to who? what she thinks is going to be a lawyer. You're at Pepperdine's, beautiful in Malibu there. She's probably thinking, okay, he's going to graduate. He's going to get a job as a lawyer. We're going to have a good living. And then you go to her and say, you know what? I'm thinking maybe I would rather take this $3,000 a year job coaching. Her response is what? Oh, that was actually kind of funny. Um the uh, well, she was always very supportive from beginning to end, you know. And there, what, it, and her motivation on this thing never was money. And I really do. I mean, she, she as far as with regard to anything like money, no problem there. It was regard to pushing forward, sacrifice, no problem there. You know, just the, you know, as we went forward, had to always kind of a, you know, agree on the course. And so she had. Um, and she was very competent, so she had these, you know, a very good administrative assistant type of jobs, you know, which weren't making very much. But um, so I, I go to the United States Sports Academy and uh, study in a way, and that was the exact year. It was the worst year to try to become a coach. If you want to become a coach, that's the worst year. Um, all's well, ends well, but uh, at the time, because um, that was the year that they uh, cut back the GAs. They limited the, the GA total to two. And so going in, um, any of these schools would take free help, you know, let you just come out there and 
work for them for free. But when they had to limit it to two, I mean, they were cutting uh, former players and things like that off their staffs in order to meet that number of two. And uh, which meant that not only were they not going to hire me, it meant that they also, uh, there were a lot of GAs on the market. And so then, um, you know, then you had to go Division Two, Division Three, which Cal Poly San Luis Obispo was Division Two, and um, I and so I um, got the job. I said, "Great news, Sharon! I got got a job today." And and she goes, "Oh, good. Where?" I go, uh, "Cal Poly San Luis Obispo." She says, "Oh, San Luis Obispo. I mean, that's a beautiful, beautiful place." Which it is. It's one of the prettiest places on earth. Anybody that hasn't been to San Luis Obispo, California, really needs to go. It's 200 miles south of uh, San Francisco, 200 miles north of L.A., right on the coast. Uh, total wine country, looking geography, probably better. And then, um, and so, uh, and she goes, well, how much are we going to make? I said, 3000 And she starts doing the math. She says, she says, okay, let's see, that's 3000 a month times 12, that equals, I said, no, 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 no. I said, 3000 for the year. And she says, 3000 for the year. And then, you know, and then, um, but, you know, I mean, back then, and now we did have my first daughter, but we were pretty much willing to live in a tent if necessary. And then, um, and the 3000 went a little further. Uh, from the standpoint that um, in the off-season I could substitute teach. And that wasn't consistent, but like three days a week uh, after January I could substitute teach, which uh, that made a huge difference. So you are there you are, a, a law school graduate, making $3,000 a year, and in January when the season's over, you're laying in bed and they call you early in the morning and they're like, hey, we need you to show up at X school and you'll be the substitute teacher for the day. What grade were you substitute teaching? I would do uh, I would do all of them. Uh, well, the best grade, <clears throat> you know, the best, of course, is, um, well, okay, so here's substitute teaching-wise. Um, you know, uh, uh, well, my favorite, of course, is uh, is something like high school honors or Spanish or chemistry, where they're not going to thrust a substitute teacher into. Uh, uh, it's like here, read your book. They know their assignments. Uh, the other that's great is PE. Oh yeah. Usually, usually, if you're the substitute teacher, they're going to roll out the balls, and um, just for exercise sake. And since you're the teacher, you can put yourself on one of the teams. And um, <laughs> now keep now keep bear this in mind: you're not going to be the best player. Not in L. Or well, when I was in L. A., you damn sure weren't going to be the best. player. What was but, your best sport when you were substitute PE teaching? Was it kickball? Was it basketball? Like, what was your go-to sport to put yourself? Oh, I'm in? A, well, we didn't play much. Uh, Dodgeball. I'm good at dodgeball. I am a good dodgeball player. Yeah. Um, I was just another body for basketball. But, you know, yeah, you can go run six hours or six basketball periods a day. You know, I'd ride my bike to the schools and, 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 and then play basketball for six periods. You'd get in pretty good shape. And then um, <laughs> and, and basketball logistically is the simplest. Um not a lot of kickball, dodgeball, but dodgeball's one because they'll stick you there in that gym with walls on all sides, and then you have to decide, you know, uh, how many balls you want going off on everybody. And then, um, uh, but 
No, uh, the shop classes are tough because in shop classes they break out the books, and every kid in that shop class knows that whatever's in that book doesn't apply to him. Yeah. And so, and so then there's, and plus they're tougher kids anyway. So then, um, you know, then capers evolve, uh, like, uh, oh, throwing stuff or staple gun wars, stuff like that. So, I mean, uh, you know, that, and I tried to avoid, uh, shop classes after a while. What was the worst substitute teaching experience you ever had during that time frame? Do you remember one where you were like, I can't believe I'm doing this for a living? Well, there got to be junior high's the hardest. Junior high's the hardest, but I kind of got to be where I was their hired gun for junior high. You know, like as in and like seventh and eighth uh, grade boys are impossible no matter what, right? They don't listen. They're crazy about girls. Like they, they, they don't. Yeah, but they, when you mix the girls in, and those girls are spraying hairspray in there, and those guys are trying <laughs> to flirt with them, and the rest, and the whole dynamic going on there, yeah, it's tough. And well, what would happen is I'd go into those classes sit down at the desk and um, there's the note from the previous teacher that says she will ne- she not only will she never <laughs> teach this class again, she is leaving teaching. She feared for her life when she left. You know, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. And, and um, in all her, you know, all the times that they've ever been teaching, this was the worst class ever. And so, well, then to start out, I mean, I'd read the note to them line by line and tell them what I expected and didn't expect. And that lightened it a little, you know, um, and two students threatened to kill me. I'd say, now, listen, I don't, I don't intend for any of you to threaten to kill me. Then, Oh, oh we didn't say that, you know, and it'd be like that. <laughs> but the one, the, the one thing in these schools, they had the phone on the wall. They had the rule, the, the rule book and the parents' phone numbers, and they had the phone on the wall. And, uh, and if, you know, if, if, you know, you'd send them to the office or whatever. Somebody got way out of hand, but you know, or, or else you'd bring the, the the kid to the front and you know dial up their one of their parents and say, "Listen, you know, uh, this is so uh, this is Mike, the substitute teacher at such and such junior high school, and your son here says that uh, you don't care about English class, so it doesn't matter uh, what we tell you, but." Uh, um, you know, there's other students in here that do. I mean, then there'd be the kid, you know, right, right there. Then you'd hand the kid the phone and then, uh, uh, well, and then all of a sudden, you know, the kid wasn't quite as tough as he thought. And the parents weren't quite as ambivalent to the kid's education as, uh, he claimed. And then, uh, but that would mitigate a lot of problems. So you, this is uh, like on your career. You go to Cal Poly, College of the Desert, the Pori Bears. I don't even know what that is. Iowa Wesleyan, uh, and then you're at Valdosta State down in South uh, Georgia. At what point in time did you ever think, "Hey, maybe I've made it. Maybe I'm going to be a decent coach"? Did you ever have that kind of epiphany, or was it something like where you were constantly just wondering where the next job or the next paycheck was going to come? Uh, but I was constantly wondering where the next paycheck was going to come from. Um, I, I had confidence in my abilities, but the thing is, is rather than just a, a pile of confidence, you know, it's more of a quest. I mean, you're going from one test to the next, just uh, it's almost like uh, some guy in, the, in a, a jungle or something with a machete, you know. I mean, you're just uh, going through the best you can and, and – uh, grinding away but excited about it you're excited about it you know um 
because, you know, this kid's getting faster. You got to tend to something with that kid or, um, oh, wow, this play looked really good the other day, you know, so it is consuming. And that's the most important thing. I think that it's consuming. And then, um, uh, uh, then, um, but I'd say when I got to, well, the biggest thing is I wanted my wife to not uh, have to work for it to, you know, for her to work as she wanted to, for it to not be a necessity. And, and we were up to three kids at this point. So, you know, uh, her working wasn't even cost effective really. And then, um, but when we got hired at the university of Kentucky, uh, then, um, you know, she didn't have to work. And that was the first time we had a house. So I was in my shoot, my kind of late thirties before we ever even were in a house. And so then, um, um, when, when, when she could watch the kids, didn't have to work. And then I could pay a little bit on my student loans, of which I owed the federal government, like $50,000. Yeah. I know that feeling. Cause I just paid off my student loans for, uh, for law school actually last year. Uh, they, they hey, I, Hey, I didn't get mine paid off until after my first year at, uh, at Texas tech. And the other thing I would take classes. I would take classes every off season. So uh, I'd take classes every off season so I could, um, now what do you call it? Your CLE? Yeah. To make, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. To maintain. Yeah. So I took the history of the Caribbean, the history of Cuba, uh, the, the American abstract expressionist, contemporary artist, uh, philosophy in uh, the Western world. Yeah. I mean, I took some fascinating classes of which I, you know, but that was really just to, um, well, I didn't have to pay off student loans that I couldn't afford, you know. What have you been reading this off season? I haven't been reading a lot this off season because I've been on the move a lot. Um, I've been kind of on the move. I, uh, had the opportunity to go to Cambodia and Taiwan. So, um, I did that. And then, um, uh, but you know, it's, it's, and it's kind of the type of thing and, and, and I still do read quite a bit and I got this on deck circle that's sitting there growing. Oh yeah. I know that and, feeling. And, uh, because I'll tell you this, so like the one thing would be, okay, I'm, I got to remember to buy this book, you know, uh, like next book I'm going to read, you know, I'm going to go back and make sure I buy this one. Well, you know, no, just buy it. Um, uh, Pat Knight told me this, and it was good advice. Just buy it. You might never read it, but it only costs X amount, and then it's there when you're ready to go. But, um, you know, and then the other thing is, is there's um, <laughs> sometimes you get caught up, like you'll see something, watch a documentary or something, and then uh, Google, you know, some person, some place, some thing on the Internet, um, and um, – and, you know, study about that. Like, uh, well, I just flew in from Portugal, so that'd be one. There's all kinds of, they had this huge earthquake and a nine and a half, a 9.5 earthquake, they say, in 1755. Wiped out the whole city. Reset where the river was and the city wall, I guess, was, would have been. And, uh, I mean, and so sometimes, you know, I get uh, technically reading, but not a book. And then um, the other thing I find, and I haven't been home, so this hasn't been a problem, but, um, you know, with, with uh, 
you can record the stuff on the TV so you don't have to mess with commercials. And there's some awfully good uh, kind of documentary, wide variety, well-done stuff that you can check out there. So after that long and elaborate excuse, I'm not reading as many books as I would like, but I think in there some of the reasons are good ones. Are you were you were you in Portugal for the World Cup game with Ronaldo? Did you get to see any of the experience around that? Because I think they tied with Spain in what would have been a pretty massive game. Were you over in the country then? No, I was coming over from Croatia then, and um, um, <clears throat> but uh, and then when we were leaving, they were getting ready to play again. So what what will happen? So like these plazas, they got these big plazas especially this one by the river where they'll set up this giant, 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 um, you know, drive-in movie theater screen, set chairs and seats and stuff out there. I mean, just you go up, just go up and watch, you know. And then um, then after the games, and this is just a regular game too. I mean, but especially with Portugal uh, playing, it's even bigger. And then plus um, – they have a chance to be really good this year because they have arguably the best player in the world. Okay, then the other thing that everybody forgets about, you know, they talk about the battery in baseball. And I don't know a great deal about soccer, but, you know, as far as strengths of the team and stuff, but, um, you know, the batteries, the pitcher and the catcher. So you get the best player in the world. And then, but they're great on defense with that goalie they have in Portugal. And he's got a name that's very difficult to pronounce and would require more homework than I had time to do for the show. But <laughs> What do you think? We yes, The other day we got into a debate on the show. Do you think Ronaldo is the best-looking male athlete of all time? Like, would you be very happy to trade looks? Like, if you looked like Ronaldo, do you think you would have ever ended up being a college football coach? You know... I guess I don't give it much thought. I know there's that whole vibe and murmur, you know, you'd, you'd hear, but um, I haven't given it that much thought. And then, um, and when they talk about it, they tend to throw him on lists with others and things. And so I only know half the names, but, you know, I mean, they, you got a blessed individual here and, and uh, would I be a football coach? I don't know. You know, I think for a lot of the reasons uh, and being an athlete's different than being a coach. There's a different grind to that. I think for all the reasons I uh, wouldn't be a football coach if I was Ronaldo, he's still able to cash into most of those reasons uh, uh, doing just what he's doing, you know? Do you like the grind? You mentioned the grind. Do you like the grind of being a coach? You got to Texas Tech. You're there for a long time. Now you're at Washington State. You've had success that few, if any, have ever had at those schools. Do you love the grind of the season, or do you like the off season in building more? I like it all. I like it all. I mean, the thing is, is everybody complains about all of it. Um, everybody complains about all of it, and so do I. But um, and uh, I guess the really the only valid complaint at all is the, the hours are just brutal. I mean, they're they're, they're brutal hours. Um, How many hours do you sleep a night now on average, like as you're coaching? Is that like a five-hour-a-night thing? I mean, what's your typical day? Well, now, this time of year, I should be sleeping a lot to cash in, and I can't say I've done a very good job of that, you know? You know, in other words, I should be banking hours. I should be like a a bear eating a whole lot and fattening up to to get ready to hibernate in the film room. Um, The... uh, uh, you know, the thing is, is it's, it's pretty task oriented. So, um, you know, uh, 
college football, at least for me, has always been, um, you know, uh, you know, when are we done? Uh, when we finish? That's when we're done. Well, and then, um, you know, as far as uh, preparing for a game in college football, that's a lot like a law school test. I yeah. mean, yeah, um, okay, first of all, there is not enough time to cover everything. There is no chance you can cover everything. Furthermore, you can't be prepared for everything. So you need to expedite that and make choices and select what's going to uh, help you move uh, the needle forward the best and um, and uh, and do it that way. And that's essentially what the preparation is like. I mean, there's a frantic quality to it, but the, the more organized and precise you can have it, the better your chances are. So as far as the football grind, I, I you know, uh, the hours are brutal, but yeah, I, uh, what I like is um, you get consumed by it. You get driven. You get, you know, you're working with a lot of great people side by side, everybody around, and then um, um, uh, and everybody pulling together for a common cause is always exciting. And um, uh, and then the, the course of the different phases of it, you know the the specific game goal and objective of the season is exciting. The recruits, uh, the toughest thing with recruiting is paring down the list. Uh, once you figure out who you're chasing, that's, you know, exciting and things like that. And then um, uh, the off-season, building and getting better. I mean, as you see people improve and all that, that's exciting. I like spring football a lot. But, you know, I hear coaches complain about it or try to have less practices or something or or, um, I, you know, I don't even get that. It's like, you know, um, you know, uh, coaches, the players, everybody got involved in football to have football. So let's have some football, you know? Uh, and then, you know, understandably, uh, everybody needs some breaks in between and then you continue the off season and give some well-placed vacations and breaks to your players and off you go. And then in the midst of that, uh, they get to have college degrees. I think it's, uh, it's a heck of a deal. Uh, I had a player, I had a player, uh, former player, Gabe Marks, all-time leading receiver uh, in the history of the Pac-12. He had a great idea, and um, which um, I think would be a great way, like everybody talks about uh, extra compensation and people go to the NFL, they're not prepared for life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I think if a guy plays four years, uh, you know, if he uh, uh, exhausts, you, you, you know, finish your eligibility in college, um, they ought to give him, um, they ought to give him a scholarship for life. You know what I mean? I mean, some schools will say that as a slogan, but um, you know, because rather than all this talk about who gets paid what and getting bidding wars, um, give him a scholarship for life. In other words, you can. You know, once you've exhausted your eligibility somewhere, um, you can, uh, you know, you can sign up and get degrees in anything you want at that school for as long as you want to go and perhaps set up some kind of reciprocity system for uh, law schools and med schools that, um, uh, that, uh, you know, like, sir, so if your school doesn't have a, a law school, like Washington State's got a med school but not a law school, well, then you you know they go to the the this handful of places law school, and then the, the, those places can come to the medical school. Something. 
We're talking to Mike Leach. Uh, he's uh, Washington State's head football coach. He was also at Texas Tech. You've had tremendous success at both schools. Do you ever wonder what you could do or what you uh, may do in the future? Who knows? If you ever took over a blue blood program, and I know what you know, everybody has a different definition for what a blue blood program is. But for instance, Tennessee came, and it seemed like you might be the next coach at Tennessee. What happened there, and do you ever wonder what you could do if you had one of those programs with basically unlimited resources? Well, you know, um, I think that uh, the unlimited resources is huge. I mean, I think that's huge, and I think that um, uh, certainly benefits, um, you know, can be hugely beneficial, but also, um, you know, I mean, because – the 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 reason the reason that Tennessee came after me is because Tennessee wants what Washington State has right now, and um, you know Washington State we've won more games in three years I think than they had in history, um, but you know I mean, but that's you know we got that uh, built and uh, uh, and making progress at Washington State and that's exciting and Washington State's a place where you know I don't have a bunch of distractions. There's not little uh, two-day taws going on and some things like that. And, um, and you know, the chemistry there and the working environment and the people I get to work with is outstanding, and I don't think that that can be ignored. Um, but, you know, like someplace where um, uh, we I jokingly refer to it, you know, there's schools that send out invitations and there's schools that recruit. Okay. Um, you know, um, you know, if you're one of those places that sends out invitations, I do think the path is easier, but also you want a place that, uh, that doesn't create their own distractions and, and, you know, where you got the full face support of the president, the athletic director, um, and, um, that type of thing. And, you know, and I feel like I have that at Washington state. And now at the time, of the Tennessee deal, we didn't have an athletic director. So, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm excited about this season. I'm excited about Washington state, but yeah, anytime you get resources, whether it's this, that, or the other thing, and it uh, eases the path. I mean, uh, obviously if utilized, you'll win more games. Now I follow you on Twitter and I find your feed to be really fun. It's intellectually curious. It's zany. Uh, there's a lot of smart stuff there, but you also might uh, share out a tweet, for instance, of uh, monkeys attacking people. <laughs> you know, like uh, it's uh, it's it's a lot like my mind works, right? We might be talking about you know a grizzly bear attack uh, one one segment. Next segment, we're talking about uh, you know like uh, I don't know what what we think about the anthem protest. This show covers a lot of ground on a day to day basis. You got into it a little bit uh, with uh, with a writer at USA Today. Is social media, in your mind, good or bad for society as a whole? Have you come to a conclusion? Technology is constantly evolving, but do you think it's good or bad in general? Yeah, I think it's both. I think it's both, but I think that um, I think where it's dangerous is where people get uh, too caught up and too defined by it, you know. And I think the one thing. And I guess my single biggest fear, if you're to say, what's my biggest fear on social media is, um, uh, and it's going to take a generation to sort out how that manifests itself. 
that's the trouble with this stuff is you don't get to know on the front end. You know, they don't start, uh, you know, list, listing uh, the precautions on the bottle until uh, they've actually been problems first. But um, I think that uh, the fact that it appears to me that people talk, uh, don't talk to people as much anymore. They talk to machines. I think that that's a problem, and then that there's going to be some some problems associated with that that we don't have a full vision or understanding of. I think that um, uh, that people are less active, less outside, less uh, involved, even with just. Like I'm doing, sitting on this deck, looking at uh, trees and, uh, and the birds, and you know, I mean, or whatever it is you're doing, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, taking a walk or seeing this or seeing that. I mean, because that machine is a pretty limited, limited world. And plus, it's very artificial and it's very uh, contrived and manipulated. And, um, you know, I mean, but the good is, is on one hand, so those monkeys, which those monkeys, I was one of the wildest deals I've seen. Um, and I don't even think it's the same monkey. So somewhere, wherever that came from, these monkeys uh, have this hobby of knocking people over. You know, these relatively harmless but nasty-looking monkeys will run out and knock people over. Well, um, one thing so that the, 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 the stuff provides is Instead of actually going to that country, researching that out and finding it, you at least get to you know are share you, the experience for an instant of are, the are, people over. We do a segment called the Animal Thunderdome here. You said you grew up in Wyoming. There's grizzly bears all over there. Are there any animals that you're particularly afraid of? Sharks, grizzly bears, alligators, crocodiles, any animal that you've gotten fascinated and studied and looked up on? Uh alligators alligators don't seem to be pretty apathetic about people you know it's like they just don't care about them and i i, I you know encountered some there in georgia valdosta state you know when i coached there and you know you would go golfing which i hate golf but occasionally get dragged into it you'd go up onto holes and it's a uh, watch for snakes and alligators well they weren't joking around you'd look down on that green and there would be alligators sunning themselves, and guys would hit from the tee box. Those alligators would yawn, roll their eyes, and go back into the pond. Now, those water moccasins, they wouldn't leave. And most snakes are kind of timid, but those water moccasins wouldn't leave. So then, you know, somebody would have to kill the thing with their driver and fling him into the the pond, where I imagine the alligators ate him. But um, the... Uh, uh, I, uh, uh, but the, but I have fished near them. I have fished near them, and they're ambivalent on people there. Sharks, if I see sharks in the water, which I have, if I see sharks in the water, I get out. I've got a friend in Key West who's from, been around the water, been around Key West, and originally I think his parents were from the Bahamas or somewhere. But this guy named Hugh Morgan is a judge, um, or was a judge, um, and then. He, uh, I, I go now, do you get in the water with sharks? He goes, he goes, no, there's sharks in the water. He says, I get out. He says, you know, all these people say the sharks are your friend. And if you're nice to them, they'll be nice to you. 
He says, even sharks are capable of criminal behavior. He, <laughs> said, he says, then I might be nice. He goes, he goes, what are you going to do when the one that thinks like Charles Manson shows up? You know, <laughs> It does make I sense mean, that sharks would have personalities just like people have personalities, right? That many of them might be willing to be totally fine with a human in the water and that others of them might be a little bit psycho. Well, tigers have proven that. Yeah. You know, t- tigers have proven because, you know, tigers don't necessarily stalk humans from what, you know, limited knowledge I have on the subject. Okay, but those that get a taste for it then. You know, that's a different deal. Their whole thing changes. And then um, grizzlies are all over Wyoming. Um, they've actually opened a... Uh, they have a hunting they season do? now. No, no, they yeah, have a hunting season both, for some grizzlies now. Yeah, they have. Because, let's see, and so that canyon between um, Cody and Yellowstone is now packed with grizzlies. and always had quite a few. Um, and, um, and you, I mean, you'd see them, I mean, you'd see them driving around some, it's not like they'd come through town, but, and then, um, you know, if they started messing with somebody's ranch, they'd call the forest service, forest service would drop, uh, one of those traps, looks like a big gigantic barrel and bait it and the grizzly go in and the door would come down and they'd helicopter it out. Um, but they'd, uh, they'd come back, you know, those pack trips, you know, Guys will have sidearms in case, because, uh, you know, a grizzly thinks different than a black bear. A grizzly's, uh, a grizzly's the top of the food chain, and uh, and the grizzly, you know, the grizzly, if he hears something that sounds a little strange or a little odd or kind of human, uh, he's going to see what it is before he turns around and goes anywhere, you know. And um, and they say with grizzlies, and I, um, uh, you know, the almost all the attacks, are uh, almost all the attacks are um, where uh, uh, somebody inadvertently gets between a mother and her cubs, and then the mother coming to protect the cub, uh, you know, uh, injures somebody. Um, we had an interesting thing in Washington because you know the, the amount of uh, casualties by uh, a cougar or a mountain lion um, are like. I don't know, some ridiculously small number, like three since 1900. Well, in Washington, we recently, I think he was a mountain biker, got killed by a mountain lion, and that's awfully, awfully, awfully unusual. Yeah, we talked about that, because I think one of the guys left the other guy, right? We got into the ethics behind if somebody's fighting like a cougar or a mountain lion or whatever, do you have an obligation to get into the fight yourself? The pirate would fight, right? Well, I would try to rocks, yell, whatever. But what I heard happen, and I don't know, and I and I haven't, you know, I haven't read any articles on it. Maybe I heard secondhand, but what I heard happen is so the cougar was on one guy, and then the other guy um, went to try to get the cougar off. The cougar let the other guy go, and then chased and pounced the 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 the, the second guy man. that went in to try to help, and then the initial one. He's all dinged up, ran for help. And, um, you know, now they say don't incite a chase with a cougar. You're supposed to hold your ground, but, um, um, you know, but right by the high school in Pullman, um, there's a cougar wandering around, and there usually is. I mean, if there's one, there's probably more than one. And, um, And, you know, can't say that's ever been a problem. They're just conscious of him, you know. Are the kids now that you coach different than the kids when you started coaching? 
Um, I don't really think they're that different. I mean, everybody wants to say they're different. Um, Frank Martin said, you know, the kids aren't different. The parents are different. I think some of that's true. Um, I think the distractions are different, you know, because people that really, really want to play and people that really, really are committed to something like um, whether it's playing or coaching or catching or tackling or whatever the skill may be, they're still like that. I mean, they're the ones that are so committed that nothing will stop them. They won't let anything stand in their way. And, and, um, and, you know, and just, uh, because it's kind of their whole identity and who they are for a while. And, um, I think that, um, uh, I don't think that that's changed, but I think the distractions have changed. You know, everybody, you know, the good old days, sometimes they're just that the good old days, like, uh, the most nostalgic radio guy ever. And I'd be stunned if you don't uh, have a little mini statue of that uh, uh, in your office of Paul Harvey. I mean, Paul Harvey, you know, was this you know we talk about nostalgia all the time, but with Paul Harvey, tomorrow is uh, tomorrow is always better than today. And um, so I think the distractions are different, and and and, um, and they manifest themselves differently because, like, I remember. You know, when I was younger, there were distractions then too. But if you got, if you got your name written in the newspaper, I mean, I mean, there were people wouldn't come down from that for a month. You know, and um, you know, so I think there's there's just more information that comes faster. But I think people spend the allotted time they have focusing on it, consumed by it, uh, it affecting them. You know, just based on how much time they they have to do it well now i think it shifts and changes more because it rifles through so quickly last question for you yesterday we spent a lot of time we're talking to mike leach he's been fantastic uh washington state football coach where can people find you on twitter what's your twitter handle if people want to thank you for coming and spending time with us this morning uh i think because i don't um tweet myself very often i think i'm a coach underscore leach yeah we'll pull that up and make sure what it is uh you're at coach underscore leach yeah at coach underscore leach uh if you want to find mike leach on twitter and i'll tweet out his handle too from my account which is at clay travis um yeah and i got a couple books out there as long as we're pushing stuff yes uh uh, on amazon you can see the the books uh wrote two books uh one is uh swing your sword which is kind of the it talks a lot about what we talked about today, which is my path into coaching and then which made it to the New York times bestseller list. And then on the strength of that, had the chance to write a book about the the Apache warrior Geronimo. And, um, and I had two great co-authors with that. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, worked with Bruce Feldman on swing your sword and then uh, a guy named Buddy Levy for Geronimo, who's got uh, uh, they're making one of his books into a, a TV series or a, a, one of those history miniseries of the Conquistador. Yeah. By the way, um, before before I forget, and I'd encourage I've read uh, the the Swing Your Sword for sure with Bruce Feldman. I need to read the other one. What happened before I ask the last question? What happened? How did you end up in Friday Night Lights? Which I think is one of the. Did you watch the Friday Night Lights series? Hey. Um, uh, you know, I've always, I've always wanted to, but I want to start from the beginning and everybody in all walks of life think it's a fantastic series. 
And um, but I've, I want to go from start to finish, and um, and that's like one of my ultimate bucket list things. Uh, bottom line is, uh, it was the I'm on the I'm in the season finale of the fourth season, fourth season finale, and and I have seen my scene, and I kind of know the gist of it. But um, yeah, I'm on the I'm on the um, there's a clip of me and and uh, Kyle Chandler on the season finale, uh, in, uh, in Friday night lights. Uh, so the last question for you yesterday on the show, and that's a phenomenal show. I would encourage everybody oh, to well, watch Friday night. What lights. happened is Peter Berg's a football fan. Yeah. And he just started watching football and stuff like that. And if he would just get interested in stuff, I mean, some of these guys, he would cameo into his show and I was just lucky enough to be one of them. And then, you know, Peter continues to be a, uh, a good friend. Um, we talked yesterday on the show, the Thursday show, Friday morning. Thank you for joining us. I'm Clay Travis. We're talking with uh, Washington State football coach Mike Leach. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach underscore Leach. We talked about uh, this uh, Kevin McHale. I don't know if you've seen this story. You paid much attention to it. Kevin McHale went to a uh, rally in Minnesota for Donald Trump and people saw his picture in the crowd, and they lost their mind, and they're saying, hey, he shouldn't work at TNT. This is unacceptable for him to have these political opinions. I always say that I'm a radical moderate, and what I mean by that is I'm a First Amendment absolutist. I think that the marketplace of ideas is a big deal. You went to law school. You studied a lot of these cases. I'm a little bit troubled that our national discussion is becoming circumscribed, and people can't have a full, robust debate about issues anymore. And I know you stepped into that a little bit on Twitter. Do you get that sense? Do you think it's just cyclical as it has happened in our history? Some things become, uh, you know, like uh, after 9-11, they fire Bill Maher for saying what he said. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't patriotic enough. Some people said during George W. Bush's term. Now there is a certain segment of the population that believes if you say anything other than Donald Trump is evil, that that's unacceptable. Is this going to pass, or do you think we're in an era that's particularly susceptible to uh, kind of restrictions on speech like that? I my gut feeling is is it'll cycle through. I mean, because like, for example, um, anybody that voted for uh, uh, you know the 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 only the, maybe and you know maybe it's because he won, but I think it goes beyond that. The only animus exists if someone likes Donald Trump. You know, you don't see the Trump guys disliking uh, or, or saying you should be fired if you were in favor of Bernie or Hillary or any other list of them. You know, I mean, you don't you don't see the Trump people saying that. Okay, now some of it again can be because you, there's always more scrutiny if you're the president. Okay, and there should be scrutiny. Like I, I get tired of this. Um, you know, they say, well, you know, this president, you know, this, that, and other thing. Okay, I mean, the, 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 what you're looking for is the most qualified president, and you may or may not get that, uh, but the voice of the people uh, is what speaks in this country, and the system, you know, otherwise would be um, would be far worse. And um, But, you know, you don't see uh, the other side all of a sudden hating people individually because they voted for somebody that they disagree with. So, uh, you know, I, 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 do, I do think there's a problem there. And I think any time you limit the freedom of expression, the freedom of speech, you limit the, your opportunity to learn, your opportunity to understand. 
And I think, you know, uh, free dialogue and, and free, their free dialogue and thought exchange, you know, I mean, I mean, that's essentially how you did be take your pick, pick your hero. Uh, that's how, that's how Martin Luther King brought people together. You know, uh, you, you know, how, how do we bring people together? He wasn't against all this separate stuff. He was against people or, or, or or he, he he was in favor of people being together, but it was all dialogue and exchange. And so I think that, you know, I think the important thing really is that uh, everybody uh, talks, say their piece, because the reason I like that is because I've had the opportunity to change my thoughts on a number of subjects, learn a number of things, understand things more thoroughly when there's a free and, ex- and steady exchange of thoughts and ideas. And um, and then now, all of a sudden, to limit that, well, you limit your opportunity to learn. You limit your opportunity to understand. You limit your chance to to correct something that may be a bad thought that you have, or to uh, or to improve the life of somebody else with a good thought that you may have, or to identify what you have in common. If it's just based on a series of labels, and you know. Uh, I like this person, not that person. So it doesn't matter what this person says. All I care is what, um, you know, anything I can to destroy them. I think it's very unhealthy. I think it's ridiculously unhealthy. And I think that's exactly why our constitution prescribed against it. I want to let you finish. I know I said last question, but you gave some phenomenal advice. It's wedding season. June is the most popular month of the year for wedding. We started off this conversation, me talking about how I got married. We moved to the Virgin Islands. You said you've been married, I think, 36 years. Uh, I think so. Yeah. (laughs) What is your advice to the men out there listening right now whose wives may or soon to be wives, their fiancés are getting ready for the wedding? Hey, you've got to stay away from them. I mean, <clears throat> look, and, and, and I, it, this is tough advice to follow. This is very tough advice to follow because, um, because you know, why are you getting married? Well, because you've got, uh, hopefully you're marrying somebody who's your best friend. That's the, the, kind of, I think, the, the starting point. If you're going to marry somebody, they should first and foremost be your best friend. That's where it needs to start. Uh, I do think it needs to go a little beyond just best friend. It needs to be... Uh, Going away, hands down, no holds barred, off the charts, your most attractive best friend. Okay, but it, <laughs> it, it, it needs to be, um, that's where I think the most important starting point is, needs to be your your best friend. And who you want to spend time with all the time, okay, where, you know, oh, I'd go to a rugby game or rugby trip, and they tended to have tournaments, so it wasn't just a one-day thing like football is. Sometimes it'd be, I couldn't wait to get back, you know. And, um, and see Sharon. And so, um, but I think that, um, uh, and, and so, so, um, uh, you, you know, you want to be with them the whole thing. Okay. But once you decide to get engaged, I, first of all, elope, elope. I mean, no questions asked, just go, just elope. Okay. But once you make the decision, cause you've already thought about and all this, so what's the engagement for what you're still thinking about it? I mean, you know, and, and no, I mean, once you once you're uh, once you decide, don't get engaged until you decide. Once you decide, <clears throat> get married. But during that uh, during that period, while they're planning the wedding, whatever that may be, you have to get away. 
immediately schedule a 24-hour-a-day workday, schedule um, a business trip, schedule a really cool trip to Mexico or somewhere with friends. I mean, you have to get out of there. And it, the whole thing is uh, uh, your mom, her mom, uh, in, and including your fiancé, they're going to lose their mind. And um, your sisters will, her sisters will. I mean, this wedding is just like, um, um, it's kind of the emotional Achilles heel. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, because and, 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 you can't win any question. You can't win any question. Um, you know, what color do you want the invitations to be? And, and you're thinking to yourself, who cares? I don't even want invitations. And plus, um, um, you know, they already know we're getting married, so they'll just be there. And then, uh, no, what colors? No, seriously, what color do the invitations need to be? You know, uh, red, white, or blue? Um, okay, I like the red ones. Well, I was thinking the blue ones. And then you go, okay, the blue ones. Well, you need to be a part of this, too. You're just saying that. And then you say, okay, the white ones, hoping the compromise. Oh, no, then the thing will just ignite. I mean, I mean, there's no chance. There's no chance. Um, and, um, you know, you just got to you just got to make it to the altar. And then after that, after that, it's, uh, like I said, it, it is kind of a long and winding road, but it's, a, you know, memorable, exciting uh you know, together, that whole thing, which is, uh, you know, that's a great uh, experience and continues to be. Mike Leach, he's one of a kind. He's at Coach underscore Leach on Twitter. He spent a lot of time with us here on uh, Friday morning, and uh, I will tweet out his link. Encourage you to go follow him. Thank him for hanging out with us. Coach, want to get you on maybe during the season as well, but I appreciate the time and enjoy the rest of the off season and good luck up at Washington State this fall. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. I truly appreciate that. Everybody follow the Washington State Cougars. Uh, go Cougs, and it was truly an honor to be on with you. That is Mike Leach. I am Clay Travis. We'll be back Friday edition. I'll kick the coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 